Romans chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. Therefore, Paul says, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through Him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Now, not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, through whom He has given us. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person, one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Now since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if we were, while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his Son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Now, I'm just going to tell you ahead of time tonight, a lot of times maybe you might hear a concept or something you've never really looked at before. Chances are real good. Everything we're going to see tonight, you've heard before. But we need to have it preached to us again, because I know for me, Having walked with the Lord since 1973 and spent years in His Word and teaching and preaching and ministry for 40 years almost now, let me just say this to you. As I was doing the study, I was so excited to the fact that it got deeper even for me, even though I knew this stuff. I could have probably taught this section of Scripture without doing any research, without doing any digging, without looking for other passages that tie to it. But as I did the research for this and the study for the preparation to make my notes for tonight, God just started to really talk to me about the fact of, Jim, you know this, but you don't know this. You know this, but I want you to really know it. And that's my prayer for all of us tonight, is that we won't just sit there and say, oh, yeah, I heard this. I know this. No, there's a depth to what we're going to look at tonight that I pray that the Spirit of God really takes you into. So we've already seen, look at Romans 5.1, that we have been justified by faith. That Remember, that justified means God has declared us righteous. Uh, we've been made justified. Look at verse uh, 9. Since we have been justified by His blood. Go to Romans chapter 3 again. Look at verses 23 and 24. It says in Romans 3, uh, 23, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. All right, now listen closely. We're, we're declared righteous through faith in Jesus because of the blood of Jesus. We've been declared righteous already by God. Now, what that means is this. Since we are now righteous in God's sight, we are no longer in the category of the wicked. That's very important that you get this. You're no longer seen in the category of the wicked. Are there times that as believers we may still do things that the wicked people do? Yes. Does that move us back into the category of the wicked? No. Why? Because we've already been declared righteous. And remember, did you do anything to become righteous? No. It was by faith in what Jesus did. You were declared righteous. So even if you do wicked things, that won't move you into the category of the wicked because you didn't do anything to get into the category of the righteous. You can't do something to get into the category of the wicked. You have already passed from death to life. You have been declared righteous by God. Go to Malachi chapter 3. 
Look at verses 16 through 18. Malachi chapter 3, starting in verse 16. Then those who feared the Lord spoke with one another. The Lord paid attention and heard them. And a book of remembrance was written before him of those who feared the Lord and esteemed his name. They shall be mine, says the Lord of hosts, in the day when I make up my treasured possession. And I will spare them as a man spares his son who serves him. Then once more you shall see the distinction between the righteous and the wicked. Between one who serves God and one who does not serve him. There is going to be one day a very clear distinction for everyone of the righteous and the wicked. But the Bible says there already is a distinction. It might not be as noticeable to us or the people on the earth. One day it will be really clear. The righteous are going to be where? Forever. In his presence. The wicked are going to be where? Forever. Separate from him in hell. There's going to be a clear distinction. But there is a distinction already now. For those who have been justified by faith in the blood of Jesus Christ, you have already been declared righteous by God. You're in the righteous category. You're no longer in the wicked category. So, look again at Romans 5.1 again. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. The righteous, quote-unquote, righteous or not, quote-unquote, but the righteous or justified are at peace with God. Let that sink in for a minute, because there's going to be lots of times the enemy's going to come and whisper in your ear and try to convince you that it's not the case, that God's upset with you. No, you've been declared righteous. He sees you in the righteous category. He sees you in the same way he sees his son, because you're in him. You're righteous. But for the wicked, there is no peace. Go to Isaiah chapter 48. Look at verse 22. Isaiah 48, verse 22. There is no peace, says the Lord, for the wicked. I think it also says it again somewhere in like Isaiah 57 or something as well. Again, the scripture says there is no peace for who? For the wicked. But we're not in that category anymore because of Jesus. Now, because this justification, this peace with God that we have, well, let me back up. How does this peace with God come? There's only one way. By grace through faith in who? In Jesus and his blood. Remember that? Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. But what I want to do is I'm going to take you back now. We're going to start in the book of Luke. And we're going to take a look at the fact that the Bible has been talking about this all along. We saw earlier in Romans chapter 2, where Paul was quoting with, from all those Old Testament passages describing the wickedness of man. We saw that they said at one point, the way of peace, he said at one point, the way of peace they have not known. Let's, let's take a look at that. But we'll start in Luke chapter 1. Go to Luke chapter 1. We'll get verses 67 through 79. Luke chapter 1, starting in verse 67. Zechariah's tongue has now been released since they named John the Baptist. And his father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. 
as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, child, this is John the Baptist, and you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins, because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high, to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. Now listen to what he said. Now, by the way, who's speaking here? Good answer. I thought I was going to trip you up with that one. You're going to say, Zechariah. No, the Holy Spirit overtook Zechariah right now, and he just started prophesying. The Holy Spirit took control of him, and the words coming out of his mouth are Zechariah's voice and his vocal cords, but it was God himself through the Holy Spirit speaking. And he was reminding them, as Zechariah is praising God, he's reminding them that all along in the Old Testament, God had prophesied and promised mercy to those, salvation and forgiveness of your sins. And he says, you, child, are going to go and prepare the way for the Lord the one who's going to come and provide this grace and this mercy. And he's going to guide those who sin, look at verse 79, to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. Go to Luke chapter 2. Look at verses 8 through 14. And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. So here we see that the Old Testament prophecies talked about a way of peace. Zechariah says the, uh, the way of peace is now going to be made known and revealed by this one that the, the John the Baptist was going to prepare the way for. The angel came and announced the birth of Jesus and said, Now i got great news for everybody in the whole earth. Peace is available, but it's only available to those with whom he's pleased. It's available to everyone, but there's a qualifier. Go to Romans chapter 3. Look at verses 10 through 24. The section we just talked about, I said earlier, was in chapter 2. It was actually in chapter 3. Romans chapter 3, verses 10 through 24. As it is written, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asps is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. In their paths are ruin and misery. And the way of peace they have not known. There's no fear of God before their eyes. Again, if you remember from our earlier part of this study of this passage, those are all Old Testament quotes talking about the wickedness of man and how man cannot be righteous in and of himself. Yet... All through all of this, he's been hinting at this way of peace. The way of peace they have not known. 
But there is a way of peace, even though they didn't know it. And then John the Baptist was going to come and prepare the way for the Lord is going to come. And in his tender mercy, he's going to give salvation in the forgiveness of people's sins. And he's going to guide them into the way of peace. And then Jesus is born and the, the, the angels come and announce there's peace now available to everyone on whom his favor rests. Go to Romans 15. Look at verse 13. Romans 15 verse 13. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and what? Peace in what? In believing. So that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. Let me read that to you again. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing. So that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. Go to Acts chapter 10. Look at verses 34 through 43. Acts chapter 10, verse 34. To set the stage, Peter has had the vision of the sheet. God says, what I've called clean, don't call unclean. He realizes that the Spirit of God's wanting him to go into the Gentiles' houses, which he didn't think it was lawful to do. And he was trying to stay clean and pure. And God says, that's not what I'm talking about. He says, I want you to go into these people's house. And so he goes and he shares the gospel. And in verse 10, I'm sorry, chapter 10, verse 34, Peter opened his mouth and he said, Truly I understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. As for the word that he sent to Israel, preaching good news of peace through who? Through Jesus Christ. He is Lord of all. You yourselves know what happened throughout all Judea, beginning from Galilee, and after the, uh, after the baptism that John proclaimed, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And we are witnesses of all that he did, both in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They put him to death by hanging him on a tree. But God raised him on the third day and made him to appear, not to all the people, but to us who had been chosen by God as witnesses, who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to be judge of the living and the dead. To him all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. All right, let me ask you a question. The Old Testament prophecies talked about how man was so wicked the way of peace they have not known. Zechariah now prophesies that John the Baptist is going to prepare the, one for the, the, the way for the Messiah, the one who's coming, who gives salvation through the forgiveness of people's sins because of his mercy. That individual is going to lead people into the way of peace. The angels announced that the one who was born, Jesus, is the one who is now peace is available to the whole world with whom God has show, his favor rests. We've seen that if you, you'll receive peace by believing in his name, here Peter preaches and said that peace is now available through Jesus Christ. Can anybody answer this question for me? What's the way of peace? Faith in Jesus. That's the way of peace. That's the way to peace. That is the way of peace. Who are the wicked then? Because the wicked, there's no peace. They're the ones who reject the message of salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. Who are the righteous who have peace? The believers who believe in Jesus and have been declared righteous. By the way, if you know this truth and you've acted on it, you're in the righteous category. 
You're not in the wicked category. You're at peace with God. Go ahead. Sheep and the goats is another issue, actually, because that's going to be a distinction between at the end of the tribulation period of the humans that survive. And that's going to and that's going to be tied to how they treated Israel and all that. I think there's going to be a, a type of righteousness because of their faith in God and his promise and who Jesus is, because if you're going to be protecting the Jews during the end of the tribulation period or during that time period, you're going to believe in Jesus and all that. And so but that's another distinction. But here's what I want you to hear. If you're in Christ Jesus, you know the way of peace. You've met the way of peace. He lives within you. You have peace with God. And I wrote in my notes, wouldn't it be great to have this peace? I'm going to ask you, wouldn't it be great to have this peace? I sure hope you guys get this answer right. You already have this peace. Go to, back to Romans chapter 5. Look again closely at the words. Look at what he says. Therefore, verse 1, since we have already been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. You have it. It's yours. Well, let me ask you a question then. And I want honesty again now. If you're in Christ and you're righteous and you've been justified, declared righteous, you're not in the wicked category anymore. And God sees you as righteous and his peace is now yours. You're at peace with God. He'll never be angry with you again. Do you always feel his peace? Good answer. Is it available to you at all times because you're at peace with God? Then how do we experience this peace that we have all the time? By faith, through Christ, but and time with him and recognizing, recognizing that this is God Himself, Holy Spirit in us that yeah. enables us. Yeah. He is the finisher and the author. That's great. What you're saying is actually already told us. Go to Isaiah 26. Go to Isaiah 26 and look at verse 3. Isaiah 26 and look at verse 3. You keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. We have peace with God, but if you want to experience the peace and feel the peace, I'm going to show you a bunch more verses that show us this. You need to learn how to daily, kind of what, what Sheila was talking about, daily live in that understanding of what is yours. You have to daily drink of the Spirit. You, he's promised of rivers of living water. You can't say, well, I've already been saved. Well, that's true, but you're also still being saved. You're in the process of him finishing what he started. And one day we won't have to wrestle against this flesh anymore and we will be able to enjoy his peace for eternity. But we're still in human bodies that are pulling us away from him at all times. And that's why Jesus wrote to the church in Ephesus in chapter 2 of, of Revelation and he says, I know your works, your, your patient endurance, you've tested those who claim to be apostles, you're doing all the, great, the right things, but you've left your first love. Realize the height from which you've fallen. In other words, it's possible for us to be in the righteous category, in right standing with God, but not experience the peace because we're walking 
in our flesh or we're being pulled away and our minds are not stayed on him. He will keep you in perfect peace if you learn how to walk with him on a daily basis. And that's going to be a continual process of growing and learning how to do this as we get closer to heaven. But let's go back and look at some other scriptures that have been telling this all along. Go to John 16. And look at verse 33. John chapter 16, verse 33. He said, I've said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. But wait a minute, what did he just told them though? Does anybody know what he just told them? Yeah. You're going to go through a time of persecution and you're all going to be scared and be scattered to your own home. And I've told you this so that when you do do this, you'll be relaxed enough to know. I told you, I know, I still love you. In me, you'll have peace. You're going to have problems in the world and you're not going to handle them perfectly. But in me, you'll have peace. In the world, you're going to have problems. In me, you're going to have peace. What we do, though, is when we do like the disciples and act like we don't know them and do crazy stuff and sin still, we a lot of times think we have to do things to get back in his good graces. And all he wants us to do is believe that we're at peace with God. Thank him for that. And just come on back. Just come on back. The son in the, in the prodigal son story thought that he had to do things in order to come back. I'll just come back as a servant. I'm not even worthy to be called your son anymore. But in the mind of the father, had he ever ceased being a son? No. And did the son have to do anything in order to get back in that good condition? No. He actually didn't even let him finish his speech. Go ahead. I'm sorry, but I was having a conversation with my former pastor in Texas just about this message. Mm -hmm. And he said that when we mess up, we've broken fellowship and that the word tells us we need to repent and um, confess those sins. Not necessarily ask for, ask for forgiveness because we're already forgiven. Correct. To restore the fellowship. Yes, it, it, if you couldn't hear what Rick was just saying, and especially those that are listening online, in case you couldn't hear, when we sin, even though we're still at peace with God, we break the fellowship and we grieve the Spirit and quench the Spirit, but He's not upset with us or angry with us. Actually, he's wanting us just to acknowledge it and come back. And when we confess our sins, all we're doing is saying, Lord, you're right. You know, your spirit's convicted me. You're right. Thank goodness that that's covered. We don't even really have to say, would you please forgive me for that? It's already been forgiven. We just need to go back into the grace that is already ours. Like I said, the father was there saying, I'm waiting for you, son. I'm sitting on the porch. I'm right here. I love you still. I knew what you were going to do before you did it. That's why I gave you the money, because I want you to learn this. There's nothing you can do that will take you out of my love. You're at peace with me. You didn't experience it. You didn't feel it because you're too busy doing your own thing. But if you'll just come back, I'll keep you in perfect peace if you'll just walk with me. So hard, oftentimes, for us to recognize the pride that we have. It definitely is hard for us to recognize the pride, but I've learned over the years. Let me give you guys an illustration that may help you. It helps me. Have you all ever been driving down the road and you kind of lost paying attention to where you were and you started to swerve a little bit, but they got those things on the side of the road to make go gunk. I've taught my kids for years when they say, Dad, I'm like, I'm driving by Braille. 
And, but you know what those things are for? They're just to set, tell you, you get off the path a little bit. Gung, 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 get back on the path. Well, you know, God's Spirit does the same thing for us. For those of us who are in Christ, we can drive with Him and walk with Him and be on the path and be doing fine. We get off the path. You know what the gung, 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 gung is in, inside of you? It's going to be worry. It's going to be fear. It's going to be anxiety. It's going to be anger. I like it. Shame. Guilt. All these feelings that don't feel good is the Holy Spirit going, gung, 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 gung. You got off the path. Come back. Come back. But again, you got to know the word and you got to let the word meditate on it. Let it sink into your heart. Just because you can quote it doesn't mean you know it. Go to Philippians chapter 4. Again, this is all stuff we know, but we don't know it. This is stuff I know and have been preaching for years, but I don't know it. Not yet. I'm knowing it. I'm learning it. Go to Philippians chapter 4. Listen to verses 4 through 9. Rejoice in the Lord every now and then. Always he'll keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on him. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I'll say rejoice. Let your reasonableness, your gentleness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. He's near. Don't be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Oh, finally, brothers, whatever's true, whatever's honorable, whatever's just, whatever's pure, whatever's lovely, whatever's commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things and what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me. Practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. He's told us all along, look, you're going to find when you start getting anxious that it's pulled you out of the way of peace. You're in peace. You have it, but you've walked out of it a little bit, and you're going to start getting gung, 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 gung. You're off the path. Anxiousness. Come on back. Oh, by the way, you want to have less episodes of the gung, 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 gung? I love saying that tonight. I don't know why. But if you want to have less episodes of that, rejoice in the Lord always. Rejoice in the Lord always. Walk with me. If you're walking with Jesus and hold his hand, you won't get off the path. Go to Colossians chapter 3. Look at verses 15 through 17. He gives us a little bit more information about how to experience this peace that is already ours. Colossians 3, look at verses 15 through 17. Oh, and by the way, as you're going there, don't forget that in Philippians chapter 4, he says he'll give you peace even though you don't have an answer to your question. The peace that passes understanding. The things that are bothering you, the things that are making you anxious. He doesn't think he's gonna say he's going to solve it. He'll just give you peace even if it's not solved. Go to Colossians 3, 15 through 17. He says, and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Let the peace of Christ be in charge, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Becky's got this little thing in our kitchen that says, it's not happy people who are thankful. It's thankful people who are happy. It's not happy people who are thankful. 
It's thankful people who are happy. Why? Because when we're thankful to God, he keeps us in perfect peace. Oh, by the way, what did he also recommend? If you want to get off the and come back onto the path, there are a couple things he recommended here. What were they? Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. And what else? I'm sorry? Well, that was in Philippians. Think good things. That's good. But here in this passage, sing songs. Yeah, you get psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Folks, play some Christian music. Stuff that's actually bringing glory to God and singing about God. I'm always a little leery about Christian music that talks about, how, about us and how I feel. No, sing, listen to music that talks about him. I'm going to chase a little pet peeve real quick. And if you're listening right now and you go to one of those churches, don't go talk to your worship pastor, but just pray. But I, am, I don't like it when our services start with that countdown on the screen. Five, four, three, two, one. And then we just get up and start singing. Worship is supposed to be a response to something that's been revealed about God. That's why in, back in the old days, there used to be a call to worship. Then it just turned into a special music kind of a thing, and we lost the whole point of it. But I, I, when I talk with churches and I work with leadership teams, I say to them, start your worship off with a prayer. And in that prayer, have there be something that talks about who God is. And then that first song, let's get up and sing and praise to God in response to what's just been revealed through that prayer time about who God is. Or have them start your service with a scripture. Guys, let's just start off this morning. And would you just turn in your Bibles to this? And then as they read the scripture, we then sing in response to what has just been revealed. By the way, our home church, First Merritt Island, does a lot of good with that all throughout the song and without the worship. And every now and then they'll just stop the singing and, and someone will, have, will just read a scripture. One of the praise team will read a scripture. And then the next song ties right into what we just read. And we respond in worship to him. Don't just play music that you like. Play music that talks about who God is. His mind, sorry, he will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on happy music. Him. You need to be reminded of him and his glory and his power and his wisdom and his might. When you are doing that, all of a sudden, all this other stuff doesn't look too impressive anymore. And the God of peace is with you. And he fills your hearts with perfect peace. Go to John chapter 14. Look at verse 27. Jesus says, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let your, not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. What's the world's kind of peace? Your problems being solved, your bank account being full, your doctor saying everything looks good on your x-rays. That's the world's definition of peace. Everything that you want going well. Jesus says, no, I'm going to leave you a better peace than that. Because in this world, uh, your bank account's not always going to be full. The doctor's not always going to say your x-rays look good. But in me, you'll have peace because you'll know that I've got you. That's why Paul could sit in prison in Philippians chapter 1 and say, even though I don't know if I'm going to live or die right now, I know that this will work for my deliverance. Whether I go be with him, which is better by far, or stay in the body and get more reward, I'm good either way. I've got a peace that you don't understand. 
shouldn't you be freaking out right now? Jesus, don't you care if we're going to perish while well, he's taking a nap in the middle of the storm? Well, Jesus walked with the Father, and he knew he was going to be all right. You know why? There's lots of reasons, but one of them is this. He knew the Father had a plan for his life, and that plan involved going to the cross on a certain day at a certain time and rising from the dead on a certain day at a certain time, and this wasn't the day or the time, and therefore he wasn't going to die in that because the Father had a plan that he's going to fulfill. If you believe that the Father's got a plan for your life, you're going to be all right. We talk to people who say, I can't believe you're going on a mission trip to that part of the world. Don't you know how dangerous it is? And I've said for years, the center of God's will is the safest place for me to be. But again, the world's definition of peace is everything going the way you think it should. No, no, Jesus' peace is walk with me and I'll give you peace. We were just talking about the gate of the year poem. I love the gate of the year poem. If you've never looked at it, and I already forgot the lady's name. Do you remember the lady's name already? Or Marjorie, I think it is, somebody. Marjorie Green, maybe. If you ever look up the poem, the gate of the year, there's a section of it that says this. So I said to the man at the gate of the year, give me a light that I may go out into the unknown. And the man said to me, go out into the unknown in the dark and take the hand of God, because that will be better for you than a light or a known way. We want to kind of guide our own lives, live them and do our best we can. Jesus says, no, I want you just to go out into the unknown, hold my hand and I will give you peace. You're already at peace with me and my peace is, is yours, but you have to drink of it daily. Oh, by the way, Paul then says next, and we got to keep moving here or we won't finish our section. Paul says next that since we're at peace with God, we can rejoice in the hope or the confidence of the glory of God. We can rejoice in the fact that we're guaranteed heaven. If you're at peace with God, he's not going to change his mind. That's what the scripture says. Yeah, but Jim, you don't know what I've done since I've been saved. Don't care. It doesn't matter, Bill. Excellent. If you've been declared righteous by the blood of Jesus Christ, you are righteous. Now, you may miss out on reward later on in heaven. You may not enjoy this life here and the peace that's yours by walking with him because you're doing stuff you shouldn't do. But it's not going to change your state or your standing. Jesus himself said, I will lose none that the Father's given to me. If you've been given to Jesus by the Father, you're in Christ. You are sealed. Now, though, go to 1 Peter chapter 1. Look at what this promise says. Don't take my word for it. Again, we have peace when we go and meditate on the word of God and what he's promised. 1 Peter chapter 1, look at verses 3 through 5. Peter says, Blessed be the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, Kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Now we're going to stop there because we're going to come back to this section in just a little bit. But don't, don't miss what he just said. We've been born again into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And now our inheritance is what? What are, what are some of the words they give us there? Incorruptible. It's not perishable. It's what? It's not fading. It's, who's holding on to it? God is. He's keeping it. It ain't anything tied to you. It's all him. By the way, you want to know how the, we're bo the, being born again into a living hope is pretty cool? 
We have been declared righteous because of who? But what if he dies? He ain't gonna. He's already risen from the dead, never to die again. He's eternal God, has always been eternal God. The one who's declared us righteous isn't going to die, nor is he going to get Alzheimer's. He is our security. The eternal God is your security, your guarantee in heaven. We don't have to turn there, but you all know Ephesians 1, 13 through 14. You also were included in Christ when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having believed you were marked in him with a seal, the, Holy, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing your inheritance. By the way, if God makes a guarantee, is he going to break it? Is he going to look for a loophole to get out of it? You've heard me say this before, but he put you on layaway. He marked you as his. He said, put that one in the back. I'm coming back to get him someday. And that's what we do when we buy things on layaway. Remember that? You used to say, here's some money. Put my name on that. Put that in the back of the, in, in the warehouse. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to come back. He put you and me on layaway. He's marked me as his. He's deposited uh, uh, his spirit within me, guaranteeing my inheritance. And he'll finish what he started. 1 John chapter 5, verse 13. Again, look at it later on. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. Romans chapter 8, verse 16. His spirit testifies with our spirit that we are his children. Folks, I cannot stress to you enough about the value of getting God's word in your heart. Because, remember, peace comes through setting our minds on him. And what does he want us to use to set our minds on him? Well, his word, what he has said. The two men on the road to Emmaus were all discouraged and worried and anxious and just depressed. And what did he say? You guys. You've forgotten what the Word said. Everything's right on schedule. Everything's right on schedule. The Scripture said this was going to happen. Guys, stop freaking out about what's happening in the globe. The Scripture said these days would come. The Scripture said these things would happen. We don't know the exact timetable and how it's all going to play out specifically. We know a lot of stuff, and we know enough to know that when these things happen, He says, relax, I'm going to come get you right before that real bad time comes on the earth. Oh, it's still going to be bad, but before that time comes, I'm going to come and get you. I'm going to take you to be with me where I am. Go ahead. Well, we know how it's going to end up. Play out is a different than endo. We don't know some, some of these characters and these parts of the pieces. We don't know what nation it is exactly or specifically how it's going to play out that way. We know how it's going to end up. And we'll be watching it from up there with them anyway. But go back to Romans 5, though. We could spend more time rejoicing in the fact that we're guaranteed heaven. But there's something I want us to chase in the last, time we, last minutes we have tonight. But he also says, not only can we rejoice in our guaranteed future in heaven, we can rejoice in our what? In our suffering. Look, look, at, look at what he says here. He says in Romans 5.1, Therefore, since we have already been declared righteous, justified by faith, we already have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. And not only that, we rejoice in our sufferings. What? We rejoice in our sufferings? 
knowing that suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit whom he has given us. For while we were still weak at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. Now, someone might scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person, one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, past tense, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, to whom we have now received reconciliation. He says, listen, we not only rejoice in the hope of the glory of God, our guaranteed eternity in heaven, but we also should and can rejoice in our sufferings because our suffering is actually a part of God's plan just as much as our heaven is a part of God's plan. Yet we try to design a Christianity with no suffering. We try to live a Christian, especially in America, that kind of preaching's out there, isn't it? That if you just have enough faith, you, won't, you can just say goodbye to this sickness and all this kind of stuff. They, re, they teach a gospel that's not the gospel. And the Bible actually says that we have been, well, if Christ suffered, we too will also suffer. If he learned obedience through what he suffered, don't you think God's going to put us through that kind of a shaping process? But he says we can rejoice in our sufferings. Why? Because we're at peace with God. When that trouble comes, when that doctor says the x-ray didn't come out clear, when they tell you like they told me, you have cancer, you can rejoice because you know this isn't happening because God's mad. He's already punished all of your sins on Jesus at the cross. So there's no way. Folks, I've said it to you before. Let me say it to you again. If you think for a second that God, after you've been saved, is going to make you pay for any of your sins, you don't believe Jesus paid the full price. Some of you were raised in a denomination that says you need to believe in Jesus, but you also got to do these seven sacraments and you're going to hopefully die in a state of grace. It was part Jesus and part you. That's not the gospel. It's all Jesus and none you. You just respond in faith. Go ahead. Well, in, in six, he says, well, in my translation, mm -hmm. you see at just the quote, right time when we were still powerless. Yeah, we were sinners. We couldn't do anything. So what can we do if we're powerless? Ex exactly. Well, let me just say to you, how many here, show of hands, were uh, military, have military training, military background? Okay, those of you all are military training, weren't you taught how to defeat your enemy? And how you were taught in to defeat your enemy was you had to render them powerless. You had to render them powerless by cutting off their supply or whatever. You had to render your enemy powerless so you could defeat them, correct? But when we were powerless, instead of him defeating us, because we were his enemy, the scripture says, what did he do? He died for us. He died for you. So if he did that when you were his enemy and when you were powerless, how much does he love you? A lot. And now that you are no longer his enemy, now that you're no longer in the wicked category, and if he loved you that much while you're in the wicked category, how much more now will you be spared from the wrath of God 
Folks, you can rejoice. Your suffering has nothing to do with whether or not God's upset with you. He loves you, and everything he does is good, even the suffering. So, go ahead. Exactly, Eric. What's the worst thing that can happen? I die and go to heaven? Exactly. You're doing me a favor if you kill me. Go ahead, Rick. I don't know you to do anything real quick, but go ahead and try. Real slow. Years ago, mm -hmm. when the uh, ISIS guys were beheading. Exactly. The, the, the guys, right before they, they let them make statements, this is when they stopped letting these guys make statements. Right. Every one of them. Thank you for sending to my, me to my Lord. Early. Exactly. He was talking about when they were, ISIS was beheading people. Right? They'd make a statement before they killed them. They'd say, thank you for sending me to my Lord early. Folks. Oh, yeah. Listen to me, folks. Listen to me, listen to me, listen to me. We all say we don't live for this world. You know how you'll know when you start living for this world? Good, 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 good. Anxiousness, worry, fear, anxiety, all that. Anger. All right. Go to 1 John chapter 5. Let me show you a couple of things real quick, and I think we'll have time to do this, but we're going to hit the last part fast. So we've been going slow right now, so buckle up. Go to Roman, sorry, 1 John chapter 5. Go to 1 John chapter 5 and look at verses 9 and 10 and then 13 through 18. 1 John chapter 5, listen to verses 9 and 10. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us. And sent his son to be the propitiation, there's that word again, for our sins. Jump down to verse 13. Did I say 1 John chapter 5? And then I'm sorry, I meant 4. I actually even wrote 5 in my notes. I'll have to make it, fix it for, for Wednesday night. 1 John chapter 4 verses 9 and 10. Let me read it to you again because I don't want you to take my word for it. 1 John 4 verses 9 and 10. In this the love of God was made manifest among us that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. And this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Look at verse 13. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he's given us of his spirit. We've already talked about that. And we have seen and testified that the father has sent his son to be the savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. Stop. How many of you, show of hands, don't answer quickly. How many of you have come to know and believe the love that God has for you? If you're like me, you, yes, but I can't put it all the way up. You understand what I'm saying? I know enough to be saved. I believe enough to be saved, but I don't know it. You know why I know I don't know it? Because Paul himself said that he prayed in Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 and following. My prayer is that you would be rooted and grounded together with all the saints in love and then begin to know the height and the width and the depth and the breadth of the love of God. He was writing to Christians. He says, I know you're saved, but... My prayer is that you really start to understand how much he loves you. And I think the fact that we experience the gunk, 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 gunk means we don't fully 
we don't fully understand the love that he has for us. We know and we believe, Lord, help my own belief. Oh, you're going to find the sufferings tied to that. Keep reading, though, in verse um, 16. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love, and whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. By this is love perfected with us so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment. What you were just talking about, Eric, and you too, Rick. Because as he is, so also are we in the world. There's no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, for fear has to do with punishment. And whoever fears in that way has not been perfected in love. Go to Romans chapter 8. Look at verses 31 through 38. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who didn't spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It's God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised and who's at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake, God, we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, and for all you engineers out there that try to find a loophole, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Can that get any more clear? All right, so here's the question. So for God's children, and he loves us this much, why doesn't he keep us from suffering? Actually, I'm going to give you two reasons from the scriptures. Number one is this. Our response to suffering shows us if we have faith or not. It the suffering actually is sent to confirm our faith. Go back to 1 Peter again, chapter 1. I, I told you we were going to stop right there and pick up later on. 1 Peter 1, I'm going to read to you again verses 3 uh, and following, but this time we're going to keep reading. We stopped in verse 5. 1 Peter chapter 1. Look at verses 3 through 9. Blessed be the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now, for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes illness tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And though you don't see him now, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. He says the, the suffering is actually sent, one of the reasons there are many, to show us we're really saved. It confirms in our heart. 
I shared with you years ago that when I got cancer, that I was interviewed by this NBC news reporter on that airplane, and I don't have time to go back into that story. And he asked me, did your faith help you during the cancer? And I told him, I said, actually, it, it did, because one, it showed me that God was, I knew that God wasn't mad at me because he'd already punished Jesus, and the cancer wasn't because he was mad. And I also didn't know if I was going to live or die. And I was good either way because I had a peace that I know I was going to heaven. And even though the suffering came, it actually, it really was a big help to me that I knew I was in Christ. And then he asked me this question. He said, did your faith get stronger or weaker, though, during it? And I was able to say it actually got stronger. Because I go around the country and I preach all the time. And it's easy to say stuff. It's another thing to have to live it. And I now know that what I preach I believe, because it was tested, and I'm fine. Go to James chapter 1. Look at verses 2 through 4, and then verse 12. James chapter 1, verses 2 through 4. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. Steadfastness, have, let it have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, Lacking in nothing. Jump down to verse 12. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. By the way, you do know that in the parable of the soils, some seed fell on the rocky soil. Trouble came, and what happened? It fell away, because it really wasn't saved. It, it said it believed, and said it understood, but it really didn't, because trouble came, and it went away. Go to Matthew 7. Go to Matthew chapter 7. Look at verses 24 through 27. Everyone who then, then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it didn't fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. Trouble hit both. I think we know the Bible says the rain falls on the just and the unjust. What was the difference between the house that stayed when the storms came and the house that fell when the storm came? The foundation. The one that's been founded on the rock is going to be the one that's going to stand the test of time. Because of where we are time-wise, and I don't want to rush this next point, I'm going to show you next time we get together. We're not meeting next week, but we'll meet in two weeks. I'm going to show you that God uses these trials and the suffering not only to confirm our faith, but actually to grow our faith. That is how our faith grows. Let me ask you a question. Anybody here? No show of hands, but I know the answer. I hope I know the answer. Do you want to have more faith? Guess what you just signed up for? When I was in uh, college and playing basketball and baseball in college years ago, I got to be honest with you, I hated preseason training. I hated weightlifting. I actually had a roommate who played ball with me and He's to this day still works out, still lifts. But you know why I didn't like lifting? It hurt. 
Oh, yeah, you got stronger, you jumped higher, you ran faster. But in order to do that, you actually had to tear the muscle a little bit. When you lift something that's a little heavier, that's why you do it until your muscle gets tired and then it starts to tear, or you increase the weight and it starts to tear. But because of the tearing, the muscles grow back stronger and your muscles get bigger. But the only way they're going to get bigger is if you work them past what they're used to. You know, people always say, God will never give you more than you can bear. Actually, the Bible doesn't say that, folks. Stop saying that. The Bible says everything is beyond what we can bear. Apart from him, I can do nothing. The Bible says he'll never allow you to be tempted beyond what you're able to bear. But he will give you more than you can bear because everything's more than you can bear. And it's more than you can bear so that you will go to him and he will take that suffering and you will come back stronger. But we'll talk about that in two weeks. Till then, I love you. Thanks for coming.